Welcome to this special episode of the Outside and Active podcast. I say special because I get to chat to the happy runner, aka Vic Owens, about her incredible run last year, running Lon Lass, which is the length of Wales from Holyhead to Cardiff, some 250 miles and over 13,000 feet of elevation. We talk about what it's like to run without your conventional trainers, some of the incredible hallucinations they went through, and how they completed this epic challenge unsupported. Before we begin, here's a little word about our season partners, Sports Tours International and Club La Santa. Sports Tours International provide the opportunity to participate in the world's biggest marathons, take on the most challenging sportives, and watch some of the toughest bike races on the planet. As international travel partner of the six world marathon majors, including TCS New York Marathon, Tokyo Marathon, Austin Marathon, BMW Berlin Marathon, TCS London Marathon, and Bank of America Chicago Marathon, as well as the VIP tour operator of the three Grand Tours and five Monuments of Cycling. They get people of all ages and from all walks of life to the starting line or in prime spectator view. Find the next event to inspire your running at sportstoursinternational.co.uk. It's not just mass participation you could choose either. They also have an exclusive partnership with the world's number one training resort, Club La Santa in Lanzarote, to accommodate anybody looking for training or active holiday at this incredible sports leisure resort. Try your hand at over 500 different activities and enjoy recovery in the sunshine and an array of wellness facilities for all ages, abilities, whether solo, groups, couples and families. To find out more, head over to clublasanta.co.uk. Um, so, <laughs> welcome to the special episode of the Outside and Active podcast. And I say special because we get to chat to the happy runner, Vic Owens. Hi, Vic. Hi. And um, we have some slight signal issues because you, well, I think it's you, but you're in the middle of the storm in, in deepest, darkest Wales, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm in um, North Wales, Denby, slightly rural, um, kind of on the outskirts. Um, yeah, there's there's a massive storm. So, yeah, signal is a massive issue right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun and games of the internet world, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's never 100%, so throw a storm into the mix and it's just, yeah, it's not it's good. Happy days, yeah. Okay, well, we're not we're not here to talk about the storm, although that was definitely interesting running out in some of that wind lately. Um, <laughs> but we are here to talk about Lon Lass, um, so 253 miles uh, north of South Wales. And could for those that don't know about it, could you just tell us a little bit more about the challenge and, and what it's all about? Yeah, so Long Last um, basically is 253 miles that stretches the length of Wales. So it starts um, in Holyhead in Anglesey and it goes all the way down to Cardiff. Um, sort of in quite a straight line, to be fair. Um, but it, it follows a cycle route and then the last 50 miles follows the test trail. Um, and that cycle route, Long Last Cymru, is classed as one of the toughest cycle routes there is. So you can imagine how hard it is to actually run it yeah definitely well and I think I mean you say how tough it is to run a lot of people will be thinking about what comfy shoes they're going to wear and how much cushioning is going to be in there but you decided to ditch the comfy shoes didn't you yeah so I um I've I've run in zero drop zero condition shoes um since 2018 um so yeah I do I do all my running either in Vibram Five Fingers or Barefoot so yeah, I did. I did do the whole of long last in zero, zero drop, zero conditioning shoes. Um, 
completely on man-made surfaces, no soft grassy meadows or trails at all. So it was all completely road, a road-type trail? Yes, yeah. So there's there's a few sections that is trail um, <laughs> or between some mountain passes, but it's it's all man-made, so it's all hard underfooting. Um, when we weren't on road, we were on the sections that, you know, with all that stony gravel that they sort of lay, so it's a walkable public path, um, which is even worse than road, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to say spikes underfoot, right? I mean, it's. Um, I met you guys, I think, properly for the first time back at the run show south, and we got to chat about it, and I started barefoot running myself then, and doing that once a week, and it got, obviously the temperature was a little bit cold underfoot, so I have stopped on the outside bit through um, through winter. But just um, conditioning your feet to run on that kind of surface, I mean, you have been doing it for a little while, but... If anyone that follows you on Instagram, for example, you'll see there's a lot of trails, a lot of mud and a lot of grass, which is actually really lovely underfoot. So how did you sort of train for that on on the harder surface? So I spent the whole year um, training for it. So I started in January and I started with um, the frozen accumulator, which I actually ended up doing the double. And I ran um, an ultra every single day of January on um, 90% on on road and that was kind of like my step up training and then I just spent the whole year increasing my road distances um, about I think it was three weeks before long last I went and did the tunnel ultra purely to get in um, a big distance on on road um, and to test out what it was going to be like um, and I did, I think I did like 106 miles in my vibrams, And that was the longest distance I'd done purely on road. And um, yeah, I was pretty worried afterwards. I was extremely sore. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's a hard thing to explain because a lot of people say, well, why wouldn't you throw on some condition, like nice cushioned shoes just to do this attempt? And because if if I put my foot into a normal, what people class as a normal pair of trainers, I would absolutely injure myself. Um, because my 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 feet now and um, my foot strength is is built to run naturally. Um, so it'd basically be like trying to run in high heels for me, which would be utterly disastrous <laughs> and not beneficial for my body at all. No, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so yeah, so it, it's a path I've taken that I absolutely love. But the point of doing long last was because I knew it would be purely brutal. It would be a massive challenge um, and I possibly wouldn't complete it. And that was the point of going out there to do something utterly, absurdly challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting because you kind of say that, you know, would you even complete it yourself? A lot of people, when they push themselves to go up a distance, I mean, there's there's another question from what you just said. You stepped up your distance by doing an ultra every day in January, um, which is incredible. But so, you know, to push themselves to a distance and you kind of you train yourself, whether that's whatever, 5K, 10K, half marathon, ultra, et cetera. But there's kind of there's an element of will I get to the end always? But that's kind of, you know, if you're doing even uh, 50 miles or 50K, for example, you kind of like, well, I could probably walk that, you know, last bit to get there sort of thing. So going up to to that sort of distance is quite a step up, right? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty major. So I've done a long, long distance before, but I've done it um, with sort of like on my own terms. So when I did the Monarchs Way, which was the fastest known time attempt, so we were against a clock, mm-hmm. um, I, I had a schedule. I would run the distance I needed to run. Then I would get my recovery sleep. Um, so even though that was 
a much longer distance. When I took on long last, it was the longest distance I'd done with absolutely no ability of being able to get inside a camp bed and get some decent sleep. Um, it, you're literally out there from the start to the finish till you get across that line. Um, there just isn't time to take real sleep or real recovery. Um, so it's absolutely brutal on the body and the mind. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the mental strength. So we just watched your, the sort of documentary, I guess, of following following your journey on this race. And there was one point in particular, I think you'd arrived, I can't remember the location, but you arrived at a village hall um, and they were pretty much closing up. Um, and you were pretty adamant, I think, that no, I need to get in and I need to have my rest and, and recover a little bit. But so it's not only you're sort of dealing with that fatigue mentally physically um and trying to figure out you know what you're eating next etc but you're also sort of dealing with that challenge of are we at the cutoff are we past the cutoff like how how do you cope with that because it's that itself is quite a big challenge for people yeah um with regards checkpoints when it comes to mark cobain's events they aren't the normal checkpoints that you might experience in an ultra I think the general feeling with ultras is that their checkpoints are the source of the most comfort and encouragement, um, and they give you the ability to move forward. Um, Mark Cobain's checkpoints are very much like a military format. (laughs) Um, You get access to your bag every 50 miles, and you are kicked right back out no matter what. Um, So approaching a checkpoint is almost like tackling the next part of the challenge in the race um and yeah <laughs> it is a challenge so you you kind of if you're lucky enough to get to the checkpoint and get in in time you're always normally told right okay you've got 15 20 minutes and i want you back out there well that's not even enough to get yourself washed and changed let alone try to grab a hot meal or some sleep yeah. so there was one particular um point at the checkpoint which if you've watched the documentary you see me and karen have a bit of a bitch fight and um, where she said you've got 15 minutes and i go actually darling i'm going to be sleeping <laughs> for longer than that <laughs> um, uh, and the, the crew is is fantastic because their job is to kick you out because if if you start you know losing time with getting a two-hour nap you're out of the game it's as simple as that yeah um so yeah it's it's a battle with them and yourself and and knowing what you need and getting it done well that's you know I was chatting to Reese Jenkins um about an upcoming challenge that he's got and it is definitely one that will involve some sleep deprivation as well and it's like, you know, how it's cause how long did it, well, the cutoff was 88 hours, right? So it's like, if you've only got these kind of 15 minute windows, like how often were you realistically napping? Because I know what it's like with my three kids and stealing five minutes and not feeling refreshed. So how do you, yeah. how sort of long are you actually well, napping in inverted commas? <laughs> yeah. Um, so during the night, I have severe, um, like, sleep deprivation issues. So I will literally be running and just fall to the ground, and I have got no clue that I fall into the ground till I wake up. Um, wow. And that's just my process with ultra running. Um, so I try to take a nap before it gets to that point, but with 253 miles, it's always going to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so those little the little sleeps that I got... Um, were anything from 12 minutes to under a minute and to be honest there was one sleep that I had that I laid down closed my eyes 
felt like I'd slept for three hours, got back up. And I remember the person that, like, at the checkpoint, I just literally sat in their car and got straight back out. And he was like, you haven't even taken a minute? And I was like, I feel great. And that was all my body needed at that moment. Um, It's the strangest thing. Um, You just need that power nap, and then you move forward. And you have to just keep doing it regularly. So there was points where every hour I was taking two or three minutes, and that would move me through to the next hour. Um, and then there can be points where you take 15 minutes and then that takes you through maybe a bit of a longer spell. And it's literally your body decides you don't have a choice. It's it's not a choice you make. Your body decides and it's as simple as that. Yeah. And you say, say you very much follow body, maybe not so much mind, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so there is, I also know, I mean, Courtney DeWalter follow um, a lot of her insane challenges too, but she's talked about that kind of the hallucinations that she gets, especially when she gets to that sort of sleep deprivation stage. So do you, do you, I don't know if the word is suffer, but do you sort of struggle with kind of mm-hmm. hallucinations when you're awake for such a time and, and putting your body through such an incredible, you know, achievement? Massively, yes. Um, so during the night, um, with ultras, it's normally the second night for me that I experience hallucinations. Um, but I'm always aware the hallucinations. Um, so you can always, even though you're hallucinating, you, you do have that touch of reality. You, you can say, you know what, that bridge that's just flown past, I know that's not real. I'm going to laugh oh, wow. about that. Um, but on long last, it was the first time where I'd had hallucinations during the daytime. And right. I did not know that they were not real. Um, I got to a point that I was so severely sleep deprived that um, I didn't know if Gordon was real or not. I began to question if he was actually still with me. Um, I, I, I was literally clueless. I got to the point where I was sobbing because I thought if at any second Gordon disappears and he's not real, I'm in real trouble because I've been hallucinating from mile one and that's not good. And that's at the point I was at. I was just so exhausted. Um, but like both me and Gordon have hallucinations. He kept there was a, there was a section in the night where he kept saying, "This badger is just faster than me," and I was like, "What badger?" And he's like, "This badger that keeps running past." And I was like, "Okay." Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> what, and he just kept banging on about this badger. <laughs> Poor badger. How do you, how do you um do you do you have something that kind of like recurs like for you? Is it? you know, whatever, it might be the badger, but when you get to that stage, is there, on a lot of these challenges you do, is there something that recurs in that hallucination? Um, I always, architectural things I see, um, and to the point of, um, I can touch them, they're real. I've actually leaned against something before, um, and just held myself in midair, because I was convinced there was something there that I was leaning against, and so I always, always see really beautiful architecture. I don't know where that that has come from <laughs> um, and it's usually bridges I have quite a fascination with bridges so I always see beautiful bridges um well, <laughs> really, I'll leave really the psychologist random. to pick that apart for you <laughs> <laughs> um on this occasion I also had a massive hallucination about Reese Jenkins um which was hilarious um and I was convinced it was real and um Reese actually um, came out and sort of like waved us on when we went past his village. And I, it was at that point that I realized that my previous hallucination was not correct <laughs> because wow. here Reese was in the flesh waving us on. Um, 
Oh, so you came to yeah. cheer on, so it wasn't just a hallucination. Yeah, yeah. So we, we went past sort of where he lived, and him and Kerry had their car parked up, and they cheered us on, and we went past their car, and they were blaring out. Um, I think it was Tom Jones' music or something. <laughs> so it was a very Welsh affair, <laughs> it, was, it sounds that, like. <laughs> I said to Gordon, um, is, is that Reese? Are we imagining him? He said, no, that's Reese. And I was like, oh, so I must have been imagining him before then, if that's Reese. Um, oh. So it was a bit of it was a, a rude awakening moment, realizing just how exhausted I was. Yeah. Um. And then there was this one point where I had like this Forrest Gump moment. I thought everybody was running with me and Gordon, and I had a little word with Gordon. I'm like, mate, we're going to have to ask your friends to go because we're not allowed support and we're risking, um, you know, being disqualified. And Gordon's just like, there's nobody there. Vic. <laughs> Like, don't be silly, Gordon. You know we're not allowed to support runners. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, there was a lot. But it was the first time I had hallucinated in the day. Um, so normally it's nighttime for me. but And in the day I come alive. I'm fine. But yeah. I hallucinated in the day. I just couldn't snap out of it. It was disturbing, to say the least. I was going to say, how do you normally, do you normally, does something just happen that you switch out of it? Or does it sort of come yeah. and go? Yeah, it's really odd. So hallucination is kind of like falling into sleep and but being awake at the same time. Um, and usually I snap out of it by falling to the floor in exhaustion. And that I usually whack my knee yeah. or something and I go, oh, I'm awake. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something normally happens. Or it's a real person. You see a real person, they grab you and jerk you back into reality, which can actually be quite dangerous. You have to be careful dealing with someone who's having a hallucination. Yeah. And what you can't tell them is that it's not real because that can be really distressing to someone as well. So you do have to handle it carefully. I was going to say that could kind of spin out a whole lot of other emotions and such like as well, couldn't it? Well- yeah. I mean, sometimes hallucinations are great. If you think your best friend's running with you, you're going to have a great time, aren't it's you? It's going to pick you um, up. It's kind of just, yeah, it's, it's when the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is coming for you, you're in trouble. Yeah, and then it's scary. Okay. Um, so as, <laughs> as part of that, um, you mentioned it's all self-supported, but um, so there's two, two questions on that really. But I think maybe the first part is the nutrition. You know, if you're obviously body exhaustion, mind playing all sorts of tricks on you, how do you, how do you sort of keep um hydrated how do you keep fed how do you keep good stuff going into you yeah so you've got to start right from the beginning really there's no point waiting it's kind of like there's no point waiting to be hungry to eat on an ultra you have to just keep drip feeding yourself um so I'm quite lucky because active root works massively well for me so Mm -hmm. I kind of drip feed myself that constantly through ultras um and we had to um on this race um we had access to our bags every 50 to 60 miles yeah so we had to retop our food up obviously there's going to be nothing fresh in that bag you're living off like slapdacks and sort of like processed food um and hoping that you can grab something nice at a chippy or a shop as you go along okay so again, um, so, so did, yeah did you have to sort of pack that bag for the the full journey and picking up snacks mm. on the way is that kind of how it works yeah yeah and you weren't allowed to take if anyone came out to wave you on you weren't allowed to take anything off them so you couldn't sort of like pre-store food anywhere or ask anyone to help out you were completely on your own oh wow so even if there was like a little dish of jelly babies or something like that you had to say no so if, if a friend comes so it reese came out to cheer us on and that's okay but if he had brought out food and we took it that's disqualification it's against the rules right 
Yeah. Okay. And so it's um, everything, everything self-supported from kit and food for yeah. the whole journey. Exactly. Yeah. So you could use like shops on on route, um, yeah. but you know you, you couldn't do anything like run into a spa or book a hotel or anything none of that was allowed (laughs) a little hot tub halfway through would be probably quite nice at some point I guess (laughs) Um, okay so I I remember when you were doing the challenge and we were kind of watching watching you on the tracker um and I know at one point I think there was probably some of us going is she going to do it are you going to make it um Mm -hmm. I think the film very much sort of shows that as well but there was a sort of switch I guess where you kind of were you calculating the times on the fly to sort of see what you, what sort of pace you needed to do to get it done in time? Um, well, we got to a point, I mean, the last checkpoint, and I, I had lost my, um, my lead that charged my watch. So my watch had died. Right. Um, that lead to charge my phone was also gone. I'd left it at a previous checkpoint just in tiredness. It had been left in the plug. So I got to the point where I had no watch to navigate us or understand what pace we were moving at. Right. And my battery life was on like 10%. So I was petrified that we were going to lose all contact if, you know, we needed help or just just checking the maps on the phones and such. Yeah. <clears throat> so we couldn't understand what pace we were moving at or how far we had to go. We right. just understood that um, the tracker was saying that we weren't going to make it. Wow. So we had to move as fast as possible. I think there was one point where the tracker said, you know, we were going to be in like four or five hours past the, what the time we needed to get a medal to finish on time. Wow. So we were absolutely shifting, but we were unable to know what speed we were shifting at or how far we've gone. But we literally, we just like just ran. Um, Gordon's torch had died so we were living off my torch which was slowly fading Um, and it was pitch black the route we were on even the route that sort of ran alongside the river was not lit I mean I don't know how we didn't break an ankle because we were flying and tripping over all sorts Um, we just just had no clue well, and you, you sort of mentioned you weren't quite sure how far you'd gone. Did you have a rough idea? I mean, is this kind of like 200 miles in type of thing? So you're like back yeah, to, so when back we to left, the exhaustion and everything. When we left the last, um, when we got to the last section where they gave us a bit of water, mm-hmm. um, I think that was a marathon to go. Um, so sort of we could roughly think, well, this bit we know from here is 10 miles. We know from here is five miles. But when we got to the point where we were in Cardiff and I said to Gordon, we must have about a park run left. And I live in park runs. Yeah. It was like half an hour to go. We had done 253 miles. Every part of our body was falling apart. Yeah. Um, emotional, physical, and we had half an hour to do three miles. At that point in time, a 10-minute mile feels like you have to run a five-minute mile because you were wow. so exhausted. Yeah. And we were absolutely, like, running for our life. Um, at that point, I didn't care if we made it across the line in time as long as we did our best. Yeah. If we'd started, you know, just so I'd walk in and not made it, I would have been gutted. But if we'd sprinted to the finish and not made it, I would have been content with knowing I'd done my best. So I just knew we had to run as fast as possible and just do our best. 
And the fact that we made it in, in the last minute, goodness knows what seconds to spare, was just, I was just shell-shocked for hours afterwards, just sat there, just completely <laughs> shell-shocked. I mean, you could you could definitely see that in the film, and I remember some of the social footage at the time as well, that kind of, I mean, it, maybe it was the last 100 metres or so, kind of coming round the corner, and everyone was kind of screaming, like, go, go, go! Like, that must have been, yeah. yeah. How how did that feel when you, when you sort of finished? Um indescribable um mark had to go back to the hotel to get our medals because nobody believed we were going to make it so they the medals had been packed away they had packed everything away nobody believed we were going to get there in time um and i remember when he put that medal in my hand it was like being given a lump of gold it was just everything it just literally overwhelming I imagine it must have felt like it weighed like a ton of gold as well at that point, right? <laughs> it's a really decent medal, you know. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> it was well worth it. <laughs> you know, if he'd put in my hands, like, I don't know. To be honest, he could have given me a, a jelly bean at that point and I would have been made up. <laughs> but the medal's pretty pretty decent, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, congratulations. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible feat that you've accomplished. But I think what a lot of people want to know, and especially if they saw some of the pictures after your Tunnel Ultra, what were your feet like? Um, sore. <laughs> my feet were sore. So I came away <laughs> with um, no injuries, absolutely no injuries. Um, I was walking, running the next day. My run streak continued. It was pretty slow going, but it, it built back up. Um, I had immense fatigue. It took me months to recover fatigue-wise. Right. Um, but my feet were sore. They were very sore. So um, there was no cuts, no no nothing. Um there wasn't really much swelling, but they yeah. were sore. I've never experienced soreness like it, as you would expect, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's kind of like explaining um, when you do, you break a PB on a short session and the next day your legs are like, oh, what did you do? Yeah. So when you run um, in minimalistic shoes or barefoot, your feet do everything. The shoe doesn't do any work. Yeah. So it's kind of like that feeling. It's they're like, what did you do? Yeah. Um, and I did it 353 miles. So they, yeah, they were sore for <laughs> yeah. quite a while. <laughs> but you, you said you, you kept the streak up afterwards. Is that right? Your run streak? Yeah, I did, yeah. So I've, I've got a run streak going and I was determined to keep it up. Um, so, yeah. So I think for the next five days, fair play, my, my daughter, Sophie, who's 14, came out and, and did that five five solid days with me to help me out um, and she was walking and I was running to keep up with her walking that's how slow I was and she was like mum you can walk faster and I was like but it's a run streak I'm yeah. running it she's like but you can walk faster and I'm like that's not the point though <laughs> and I was that slow <laughs> and then it just slowly came back um yeah. <clears throat> but yeah it, the fatigue I've I I'm renowned for bouncing back really quickly and yeah. my recovery times are really short after long last it took me months <clears throat> it wasn't till January where I right. felt like I owned my body again it was yeah. it was a long process and emotionally it was a massive emotional healing process yeah I can imagine because it's it's complete and utter exhaustion <laughs> right yes um and yeah. it's overwhelming as well you know you kind of come back and you have everyone's telling you how amazing you were and what an immense achievement is, but you're just you sat yeah. 
on your sofa thinking, I am so tired (laughs) and you're just exhausted. And it just takes a while for everything to sort of level out and for that sort of feeling to just, to just, I don't know, to just kind of understand what you've done and just, just process the process. Just yeah. took me a long time. It's comprehending the incredible, incredible challenge you've done. Well, and and watching the documentary really helped me. I think Hill seeing was, it um, from from that perspective and seeing seeing it unfold on the camera was was a great healing process for me. Well, and if people would like to watch it, which I do highly recommend, because it kind of everything I think we've talked about, um, you kind of you can see and I think realize some of the pain, but also some of the joy. So maybe to finish on that, what was one of the highlights from the whole thing? Apart, from, I think finishing obviously, but what was another highlight for you throughout the throughout the journey? Um, we went through um, a mountain section, and I remember being told that it was going to be the toughest section. But it was the most beautiful section because I was in the mountains. Even though I was on a man-made trail, that was really hard and stony. We got to pass through the mountains and we got right up to the middle bit. And Gordon decided it was sleep time because he hadn't slept properly till this point. And we both slept just in the middle of this most beautiful mountain valley. And I remember waking up literally minutes later because Gordon was snoring so loud. And just laying there and thinking... This is why I run. And it was the only section on long last that I enjoyed. It wow. was like a 5K section. And it, it was, was just this tiny, tiny piece <laughs> in the scheme of things. <laughs> oh, it was just beautiful. It was really beautiful. It just, there was like a bird of prey flying up above and it was just so scenic. And I think because all I'd seen was road, yeah. I appreciated it so much more. And that every time I think of long last, I go back to that. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay. So, um, I mean, again, congratulations. I think it's incredible what you've achieved, but I think you've got something else brewing. Um, if anyone does follow you on social media, which we can show all the links to, et cetera, later. Um, but you've got something else brewing starting on the beginning of March, haven't you? Yeah. So at the beginning of the March, at the beginning of March, um, myself and, um, my very good friend, Ben Weeks, who, um, we both, um, work together on on barefoot crew um along with pace and damien um we the two of us are going to go and attempt a world record both from our our own locations and homes um but that is the most um barefoot half marathons run in a month and the most consecutive barefoot half marathons run in a month um so the current record um is 20 and that's a male record so ben's going to go out and try to beat that male record and i'm going to go out and try to sort of set the female record yeah um so so yeah so this is going to be interesting because i live in north wales yeah um, it's still winter and for some reason we picked march probably because it had 31 <laughs> days in yeah. and we were feeling you know like the best 31's a good number um yeah. <laughs> so yeah it, this is going to be um i'm excited because i'm ready to plunge back into full barefooting again yeah. and also slightly nervous because um i think people have quite a high expectation level of me now and they're like you're going to smash this this is going to be easy for you um no it's not yeah. <laughs> and this is this is barefooting every single day half marathon isn't a massive distance for me but when you're out there every single day in north wales in the winter yeah um it's going to be a challenge it's going it's going to be the longest consecutive barefooting i've done 
and we're looking at 400 plus miles in a month barefooting, um, which will be the most I've done so far. And, and what was the sort of total distance for the record before? Sorry. Um, 20 consecutive days. So 20, 20 days, days has been, is, is the current record. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> That's incredible. And I think we can probably have another catch up um, perhaps through that, but maybe when you've done that as well, because I think that yeah. that brings a whole load more questions. <laughs> um, OK, well, Vic, it's been absolutely lovely chatting to you and learning more about Lon Lass as well. But if you um, if you want people to sort of follow you, find out you know what you're up to, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, either on Instagram or Facebook, um, and it's it's the Happy Runner. Um, so yeah, that that's where I always am. Okay, amazing. And we also, I mean, we did a, a super short interview with you and some of the Barefoot Crew, Barefoot Five K Run Crew. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Barefoot. Yeah. Five. Barefoot Crew 5K. <laughs> Barefoot Crew 5K, there we go. Um, so definitely follow them if you're thinking about it, because it's not just the, um, I mean, you guys do some lovely sort of weekly runs and things like that, but there's also lots of tips and thoughts and ideas I think you guys share um, between you all of, you know, some of the benefits of Barefoot Running and stuff. So I'd highly encourage people to have a look at that as well. Oh, uh, you're back, you're back. I think Sorry. I lost you. Literally you went completely dead there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, well, Vic, thank you so much, mate. And um yeah, it's, it's been great chatting to you. Well, thank you for having me. No worries. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks a lot, Vic. Thank you so much for listening to the Outside and Active podcast with our season partners, Sports Tours International and Club La Santa. If you liked what you listened to, please don't forget to subscribe either on Apple, Spotify or your favourite podcasting platform. If you really like what you heard, please do give us a five-star rating. Thank you and until next time, enjoy the outside. <laughs>